Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I am here with Danny Hatch and Mark LaRocco. Guys, Hello. how's it going? <laughs> Great. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good. Are you excited about today's show? I'm excited about today's show. I just about purchased like lace gloves and a fancy ball gown and everything in honor of today's episode. I've been super oh. excited for it. But what, is, what does that have to do with Marcel <laughs> the Shell? <laughs> Well, you know, it's just, oh, it's a refined, yeah. artsy kind of movie. That's how I dressed up when I went to go see it this morning. Good point. Yes, yes. No, no, <laughs> what Danny's referring to is she's giving me a sneak preview of today's episode, which is going to include a few different things, including Marcel the Shell, which is going to be kind of a fun thing we're going to talk about. But then uh, I think the bulk of the episode, I don't know, we could almost kind of call this one Danny's Revenge, because... <laughs> You know, because Mark and I, you know, we, we've taken so much time talking about music and kind of geeking out down our little uh, rabbit holes there. And uh, now I think I think most of this episode we're probably going to turn over to the skilled hands of Danny Hatch to <laughs> let us know what is going on in the world of Jane Austen movies. And there are not a few of those. I mean, that's that's it's like a full-blown genre, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. No, it's its, its own thing and like because it's its own genre you know there are like subgenres within it there's been a lot of remakes remixes kind of on it and um you can kind of categorize a certain kind of romance to be an austin kind of romance even if it wasn't based on an austin book mm. so yeah yeah no, it'll be I think fun no because as, as i was as i was thinking about this episode i i was thinking about not just movies that i've seen but but books that i've read because a lot mm. of the books that you know re- you're required to read in uh, or at least that I was required to read in high school, they they seem, if, you know, because to, to be honest, I'm not sure that I actually read any Jane Austen books, but I read several that I would consider Austen adjacent, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, Jane Eyre, I think, was one of the ones that sprung to mind as, you know, kind of the same same era, Victorian novel, but as I'm sure, Danny, you would, you would, you know, say, not the same thing, right? And so... But it is, like, my favorite book of all time. Really? Oh my okay. goodness, I love Jane Eyre. Well, I, I'm excited to hear why that is your favorite book of all time, and not just because I'm an English teacher, but definitely partially because I'm an English <laughs> teacher. Um, but uh, before before we jump into all that kind of stuff, what's going on in the news? Anybody yeah. got any news? <laughs> well, any I mean, any I... more births? Has anybody else had any children? <laughs> just... I, I don't think so. <laughs> no? Unless Mark was surprised with twins a week or two later. No. But... That would have been pretty amazing after just hearing one heartbeat all those times to have twins. Two hearts beating they're as just one. Synced. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they're if they're identical, right? I mean, wouldn't they have the same heartbeat? Wouldn't that they be? should. That's a good point. Is that a thing? I, I don't, I don't oh, know. I don't. I don't know. I've never had twins. <laughs> never been I, a twin, you, you know. Neither have I. <laughs> so no, no news. No news. Um, I mean, really, just uh, the. Uh, uh, Netflix is actually marketing the Gray Man, right? Oh, that's the news. Well, good for them. I mean, <laughs> it's that, that I, I sent you guys that article about that had the yes, funny lead. Yes, you did. <laughs> they got a good chuckle. Yeah, out of it. it said Netflix changes tack with marketing spree for two hundred million dollar film, and the the lead is Netflix Incorporated is trying a new approach in marketing its next big film, telling people it's coming out, <laughs> which is. Uh, you think that's obvious, that's so right? Like, I mean, that's how people find out about movies. But Netflix, it just seemed like for a while, just assumed that everybody knew what was what they were going to be showing, and that everybody has Netflix, mm-hmm. and so they're trying this new promotion to advertise on everywhere they can, like major yeah. sporting events and billboards and TV, mm-hmm. regular TV advertising spots, and so yeah, it's a very expensive. Uh, a two hundred million dollar movie. I can't remember. It's it's. Uh... No, I think two hundred is the word. Two hundred is the figure that I remember. Yeah. And it, it. I think this is kind of unprecedented for yep. them. Not just not just in that they're marketing their actual products, but but that they're actually spending that much money. Yeah. Um, I haven't had a chance to see the movie yet. I might I might uh, still check it out. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess this is. I don't know. Is this is this a sign of them? just expanding or do they feel like this is something they have to do because they're are they trailing the competition what do you guys think oh it's it's reflecting the competition for sure because i believe there were like disney plus and paramount plus um super bowl ads you know i I remember those running 
Um, I, and I was surprised when I first read it because, like, th this article, because um, I've been seeing advertisements for, like, The Atom Project, for Persuasion, you know, that's how I knew these things were coming out. But I think it was just in theaters and just on social media where I saw those. Mm. So I think that is interesting where it's, like, expanding to billboards and cable networks and stuff like that. It's all coming full circle, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> They've got to try something after their their stock dives yeah. and how much money they yeah. lost over the last year. So, yeah. and how much content they've lost because, like I've said before, like any new streaming platform is going to take from Netflix because that's kind of been the home base for everything until it's taken away, right? Yeah. Well, and you know, one thing I've noticed as I've been kind of browsing over the last few weeks, especially, is that I'm seeing a lot of repeat uh, what, how to call it like the same movies that I see pop up in the regular Netflix rotations I'm also seeing when I'm scrolling through Amazon Prime and I just thought that was kind of odd because it's it's it feels like not only because I've complained before about how Netflix just at least in terms of what they promote on on like their main page it's like they have seven different categories that have just reshuffled the same dozen movies or TV shows in different orders. Mm. But now it seems like some of the same, at least the movies, right? Because not the, not the native Netflix specials or, or TV shows like Stranger Things, but, but I'll see like the same movies available on Netflix that I'm seeing over on Amazon Prime. And I kind of thought the idea was that well, they wouldn't have that overlap, like right? I, I've had that complaint yeah. too. Because I, I mean, we have, we have Peacock and Hulu and Amazon Prime and Netflix. And there's so many movies that are available on two of those uh, platforms and you just you're like what's yeah. the point and then when there's a movie you're like well this movie should be available somewhere and you do a search and it's you have to pay for it it's kind of annoying because you're like well I'm paying for yeah. five different services and I have to now rent this movie sometimes I just go get them at the library you know oh yeah the library. No, I go library all the way yeah we do like wow. Little Women we checked that out at the library last week and it was just the DVD copy from the library and got it for free for a week so you remember I that should stuff, have you kids? check in there. I should I should have you guys check and see if they've got Chuck at the library. I I watched the first season because I think we had actually bought it a while ago, but then when I went to go on to like season two, three, four, uh, the only way I think it's I think it's actually through HBO Max or something like mm. that was they like somehow they had that property. So mm. I haven't been able to. I mean I've seen the show before, so it's not like I haven't. I I, I know what happens, but I wanted to wanted to rewatch. And re-experience some of my old old adventures with Chuck and the, and the crew. But uh, well, I I don't have a piece of news, but I do have something to share that uh, I think I think you guys will appreciate. Uh, I have to get, to give credit for this. I have to uh, cite uh, a, a different podcast that I was listening to earlier today. Uh, it's a favorite podcast called uh, the Glop Podcast. It's G L O P. Kind of a kind of a pop culture um, related or at least adjacent podcast and. Uh, they brought up a an interesting fan theory that I think you guys will will appreciate about Maverick. So, have you guys heard any any fan theories about Maverick mm -hmm. yet? I don't think so. Nothing yet, because you're gonna go. Lo you're gonna love this. Okay. So the fan theory anyway. is, the fan theory is, and I guess this is, I, there's, there's a degree of spoiler content here, but you know, uh, that that Tom that. Uh, the Maverick character, uh, Mitchell, actually dies at the beginning of the movie when he tests that that first jet, right? Because he's doing he the the program's going to get shut down. He goes and he takes off anyway, and he breaks the you know the ten Mach ten or whatever Mach eleven or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. um, and and so the theory goes that he actually dies. Like when when you see everything, the, this plane kind of shuddering, and then everything goes black. He dies, and so and, when and we, we see never him, see exactly how he got himself out of that situation. Right, we just see him walk into the diner afterwards, and he's Which like, I "Where loved. am I?" <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was a great moment. And the kid says, "You're on planet Earth," you know, and everybody gets a <laughs> laugh out of it. But then, but then this theory is that he's actually dead at this point, and that the rest of Maverick is kind of his his posthumous, you know, trying to go and resolve. Uh, the the unresolved threads of his life, namely making peace with Goose's son, and mm. you know, and Haley Joel Osment comes in and tries to walk him through. The whole thing. <laughs> so if you were wondering why he kept popping up, now you know. 
So that's funny. Yeah, but I just I just thought that's a pretty cool fit. I mean, granted, I think that it seems like about seventy five percent of fan theories do seem to be having something to relate with, with you know main characters being dead the whole time, <laughs> um, or or dying at certain points in movies. But I did think this one was a pretty cool one that that applied. That is so. funny. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. you think of all the unbelievable things that happen the rest of the movie that are just everything has to go exactly right. You know, um, it's it is funny to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he sure. has a similar moment too at the end where you don't exactly see how he gets safely to the ground too. You know, interestingly. Mm. Oh. You, you see, so really, he died twice. In a way, you see another character like you know he's parachuting out, but you don't see it with with him, and and everybody assumes that. Well, I don't want to do spoilers because there might be three or four people out there who haven't seen this movie, but. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, very good. Well, so uh, so let's transition from that into the movies that uh, that are a little more new. Because right I now. have an important announcement with that. Because I, I with, have with... recently talked about my relationship status with movies. It's been complicated oh, yeah. for a very long time. And I'm happy to announce that movies and I are back together. We're happy. We're thriving. This was a great week. <laughs> I was okay. So, so is this is this restored relationship due to the movies that you watched and are planning to report on for this episode, or is it something else? No, 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 no. It's absolutely that because I just I don't know. I was I was losing faith. I still you know don't have faith in those you know film juggernauts because they don't know what they're doing. But it's like you know the A twenty four Blumhouse, um, your Bleecker Street. Like these guys know what they're doing. Like. These are people who grew up loving movies, and they're making movies that people will love. And yeah. it's just happiness all around. You, you just perfectly described the experience that I had watching Coda at the end of a week of watching Oscar bait movies. That's, that's, that's the same way <laughs> that's that I felt fair. last year. Yeah. No, really. No, 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 and, no. I, I believe you. Because you, you, you kind of have that, that hope and optimism restored and think that, oh, okay, this is, this is what this is supposed to be. This is not supposed to be just you know, drama and backbiting and kind of the, <laughs> the machinations of, of evil and, <laughs> and wicked people. But, uh, but it's, it's, you can, you can have a fun and, and happy experience at the movies too. So mm-hmm. that's good to know. And, and I'm looking forward to uh, finding out some more of the, the details behind that. Yeah, for sure. um, and of course I am actually guessing with almost 100% certainty that the first movie we're going to talk about is a big part of that, uh, that new newfound joy. Um, so Marcel the shell with shell, uh, Marcel the shell with shoes on. Uh, the Say that a popular, couple more times. <laughs> yeah, Marcel the shell with shoes on. Marcel the shell with shoes on is uh, the new. Well, I guess I guess would you? I don't know if you call it a mockumentary because it's not. I mean, it's it's presented as a documentary, mm-hmm. but it's almost more of just kind of a style choice than you know. Since since the shell doesn't actually exist in reality, yeah. I don't think we could call it a documentary. No, they they um, called it a mockumentary, like an animated mockumentary, basically. But they're saying like the spin on it is that like a mockumentary usually paints your protagonist in a not so favorable light, whereas this one, mm-hmm. you know, you really connect with the character and it's right more right. heartwarming, you know. So so the whole the whole premise of this so it's it's based on a series of much shorter films, little short shorts on YouTube. Um, and it's kind of a interesting intersection of animation and live action because this is not, you know, what I, what I heard going into it was that it was going to be stop motion animation, and it is. Yeah. Um, but it's not like your Nightmare Before Christmas type stuff where the whole experience is stop motion. It's you have stop motion characters and other elements that play out alongside human characters uh, shot in real time. Um, and of course, Marcel the Shell is the main character. He's just this tiny little one inch shell. Uh, he's got like one little eyeball popping out of the top, out of the the hole on the top. That uh, and he's got a little animated mouth and a couple of shoes that he moves around on. And Jenny Slate uh, okay. does the voice performance, so there's so it's a talking shell. And and I guess the the simple premise is that uh, Marcel lives with his grandmother, um, Isabella Rossellini, I believe, is uh, the voice uh, of the grandma. The two of them are in basically an Airbnb house in, I believe, the California Bay Area. And uh, so it's kind of, like I said, kind of like this mockumentary, documentary, 
presentation of their day-to-day -day lives uh, that eventually kind of settles in on the question of Marcel wanting to find his parents and some of his kind of more extended family because as we learned early on in the film there was a uh, a moment with some of the previous human tenants of the uh, of the home where there was a big separation and and some of the other shells and some of the other uh, uh, characters that lived at the ho in the home together uh, were separated and so we kind of start off just following day-to-day -day life of Marcel and eventually it kind of turns into a question of oh, how can we find uh, you know Marcel's parents is it gonna be possible and could Leslie Stahl and so the, the crew of 60 minutes possibly help with this crusade and it is just as as sweet and cute and and quirky as you'd expect um, lots of you know it, it very very subtle humor I mean it's it's a very understated movie um, the performance you know so so Jenny Slate does the the voice and it's it's this very kind of I don't know I'm trying to think of even how to describe it like it's a it's it's a cutesy little voice but also of like this this shell that's very kind of thoughtful and and just trying to make sense of the world and and so you get like kind of this unique perspective and it's just this kind of fun little uh, you know it, it, it comments I mean it comments on a lot of things there's there's definitely themes of friendship and themes themes of family um, uh, there's also because they actually play out the popularity of the YouTube series um, so so Marcel's there but then uh, the the human who's basically living at the house uh, temporarily is now this is the same guy who's the director of the film right yeah yeah that's the one who's appearing and that so that's uh, Dean Dean Fleischer camp and so so the two of them are interacting quite a bit and uh, and so there's also uh, how was I gonna say it um, so when when Fleischer Camp puts out the videos, uh, there's some commentary on the social media the social media phenomenon and popularity because uh, these little videos are so popular that people start coming to the house and taking selfies, and and so there's there's definitely some social commentary, but also more of just kind of your kind of your sweet you know sweet uh, traditional morals and and family and stuff. And like I said, it, a lot of it is driven about trying to get Marcel together with the rest of his family. Um, and that forms the the crux of a of a loose plot that that's really more just kind of about the the, the cuteness of this this day to day existence of this character. Mm -hmm. um, Danny, do you concur? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sweet, cutest movie of the year so far. <laughs> the cutest thing I've probably ever seen, and I don't even know where to begin with this because I have like the things that I love about it, just like from knowing things about film, but then also just personally, because I feel like I was the perfect target audience for this. Um, this, um, so the shorts is kind of, they came out kind of during the era of YouTube and the internet that I grew up with. So it was like, you know, after MySpace and, you know, Facebook started kicking off. So like, it was kind of this, this age where like, you know, things were still kind of wild, but it was a little more honed in, and, like, a lot of creative people were seeing the opportunities on YouTube. And, I mean, the people who created it, um, uh, Dean Fleischerkamp and Jenny Slate, like, you know, they're professional creatives, right? Mm -hmm. And they're all like, hey, you know, here's this funny idea. Jenny Slate was, like, playing around with this voice, and they thought, like, hey, let's, let's film this, right? And, um, and, and I remember these videos. I watched them when I was, like... I think the timeline would be I was around like 10 years old, kind of like preteen years, and I just, I loved these videos. I thought they were so cute. So as soon as I saw the trailer for this, and I didn't hear anything about this until I watched the trailer for it during another movie that I saw this week, and instantly I was like, I have to see this movie. Because um, it just, it brought me back to that. Like, this is the kind of film that I'd want to make, and I was always kind of replicating when I'm like telling my siblings, hey, you know, do this over here, and... I had my little YouTube channel where I put ridiculous stuff up, you know? And, I mean, nothing close to the skill in, in those shorts, nor in this movie. Um, but, you know, those, you know, doing something cute, doing something funny, something kind of different, like, you know, a, it's a, a shell with a googly eye and little, you know, Barbie doll sneakers, you know? Like, it's just kind of, it, it's cute, right? 
Um, yeah. Kind of weird. Um, so I, I loved kind of going back to that stage of my life uh, through this movie. How did you feel, if, if I can jump in with a question. Do How did you feel like the, the feature length interpretation of, of the character and the story mm -hmm. compared to the shorter YouTube shorts? Because that's, yeah. that was some, one thing that I was kind of wondering about, especially in terms of holding the attention of younger kids. Mm -hmm. But I'll, I'll see what you think first, because you, I think you've seen a lot more mm -hmm. of the original stuff as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, no, I've seen all, the, all those videos, and it kind of felt like this movie was sort of the behind the scenes of what the shorts would be. So you know how they're uploading videos and everything and you see little snippets. And that's all it was, were basically just these little comedic bits of like, oh, I, I pretend I have a dog, but it's just a piece of lint that I pull on a string and then you see a clip of him pulling lint on a string and, and, and that's the bit. And then we move on to the next little comment. Um, so, like, kind of the opening is very much like that. And I love how uh, Fleischer Camp's character, who um, was kind of this narrator, this filmmaker in the shorts, how, you know, at first he says, oh, I don't want to be in this, this is about you, but we start to learn a lot about him. And so it was very much a, a lore-building kind of experience uh, where you get to see more of Marcel's world, how he lives, um, the relationship he has with this narrator who's filming him for some weird reason um so I, I i really liked that how they adapted that so and and i think it made it so it could justify the full length because they were like yeah. three minute videos before but to really right. stretch it out to a full what was it hour and a half two hours it was an hour and a half okay it was an hour and a half no and that's that's why i say like because i i really enjoyed it and i thought it was really you know very very cute very very mm -hmm. sweet um, the only thing that I wonder is, it almost seems to be a little bit more geared towards adults in that it's mm -hmm. it's kind of intellectual and it's very kind of dry and slow paced and, and being kind of like the documentary, almost like you say, kind of the behind the scenes. I, I, I kind of left it thinking, well, I think my older nieces would probably enjoy this, but mm -hmm. my younger ones would probably just, you know, they, they might enjoy the character initially for a few minutes, but after a while, I think they would probably lose interest. I, I think, I, I think you're right there. It, it's totally clean for kids. Like, I mean, young kids can oh, totally. Oh yeah. Do it. Oh, it, it for feels sure. like it could be like a my first documentary, kind of a deal. <laughs> where it's like, and, and I do think it's it's great for kids who have that kind of imagination. Like that's why it captured my attention when I was in those preteen years. And I'm like, ooh, I like making these videos. This is fun, um, because you know it's it feels so real, but it kind of requires that little bit of imagination. It's a little creative, right? So. I, I think yeah. it's a great way to combine those two worlds to kind of, for kids who are kind of more transitioning into something that's a little more intellectual. A little so, more. so maybe older kids, yeah would, yeah, would appreciate it most. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, I could that's, see that. that's the feeling that I had. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I and I fully, I fully expect this thing to be nominated for an Oscar. I, I would be oh, really I hope surprised so. if it didn't get at least a nomination. For, it's just for hard because they they don't know how to categorize. So, like, it's something that's um, kind of been said with all the, like, uh, press junkets. It's just, like, you know, maybe documentary, but, like, maybe animation, but maybe, like, you know, because it's, it's kind of this hybrid of everything. So if they created a new category, it's just well, it Marcel. I, yeah. He deserves it. I think it wouldn't, it wouldn't so be good. a documentary, right, since it's um, no, no, but, but it's, it's not an mockumentary. animation. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I, I've seen the shorts. I remember watching those when they came out, yeah. thinking they were really clever yeah. and and cute and I kind of when I heard that this was a full a feature length movie I kind of wondered is that can they do enough in an hour and a half and apparently they can you know like they can stretch it out and make a good good little story out of it it sounds like mm -hmm. so I look forward to seeing it too. I mean I think I think it could have been 10 minutes shorter and still been fine yeah. you know I, I mean I, I it, yeah. uh, it didn't I don't necessarily think that it dragged mm -hmm. But I don't think that it had to be as long as it was. And I think that if they had tightened it up a little bit, it might have had a little bit more in terms of, you know, pacing. Mm -hmm. um, but either way, like it's still, like I said, what, one way or the other, 
I, I would be very, very surprised if this did not get an, a nomination for, for Best Animation at, at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. I, I like it when they reward new types of animation. You know, like, yeah. like I was upset when Lego Movie didn't even get a nomination, and they joked about that at the Oscars. <laughs> you know, they when they because they got nominated for Best Song, but not for Best Animated Feature, and it was mm -hmm. kind of a shocker. People, everybody just assumed that was going to be in there, but then, you know, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were Rabbit, which is that claymation style animation, won that year, Best Animated mm -hmm. Feature. So this sounds like the kind of thing they should they should recognize. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I wonder, because there's so many aspects to it, I could see it going further than that. Because it's not all animation, and the the way that it's done, like, all I could think of, and, and, and like, I agree with you, Josh, about, like, the pacing thing, where it's like, they could make it shorter, because there were some parts mm -hmm. where I felt like, oh, the movie's still going. <laughs> but, like, I wouldn't know what to cut out, <laughs> because I liked how it was kind of slow and it built up like that. Like, just every moment where it was, like, a small lingering shot where it's like a little sigh or something like it just it was just yeah. cute and um so something that I kept thinking about was that this just felt kind of like a ballet where it's like the whole point of it about a ballerina really is like just so incredibly strong and they have to do so much to make their dance look effortless and like it just mm. flows and that it's natural even though like holding your body like that is just insane um, and, and, you know, that's how the animation was in this. Like, it, it really felt like such a real world where it just blended in so well with yeah. what actually existed. It was very seamless. Exactly, exactly. And um, th they did a lot of really smart things with, like, objects moving around. So I, I think that made the animation a little easier. Like, they could just move the object and you could oh, kind yeah. of use your imagination with that. But, like, it, it was so subtle, like, what they were doing. But it was so detailed and like I'm, like it sounded like they had to put so much work into it. I went into a whole deep dive on it this afternoon. Just I'm like, did they actually do stop motion for this? Because like, I mean, it was clearly not CG because it looks so real right. and oh right. my goodness, so tangible, right? But I'm like, there's no way they could have like, how would they have done it? But they totally did. <laughs> and um, I, I just that technical skill alone, like I would love to see them go, not just be recognized for the animation, but like just the practical side of it so like with you know visual effects and like being a contender against all other top movies of the year because there would have had to be so much work to incorporate that together no that's a, that's a good point i think i think that might be something to look for mm -hmm. okay so so we have one movie that has restored your hope <laughs> but i think there i think there are a couple more on the list right yep definitely what else, what else have we got danny should we should we get into the uh, austin verse <laughs> Well, and it's kind of great because, like, I mean, I, I was thinking, I'm like, these aren't really all connected, but, like, these are all really sweet, family-friendly, PG kind of films, and maybe that's it. I'm just, I, I haven't graduated to the PG-13 yet. I just need to stay here <laughs> for a little bit. But, um, yeah, and next up on our list, uh, moving on, like you said, to the Austin stuff, is um, the newest adaptation of Persuasion. And for those who are unfamiliar with the story of it, there's Anne Elliot, our protagonist, who's played by Dakota Johnson, and she was persuaded eight years ago to not marry Mr. Wentworth, the love of her life, uh, because he wasn't this suitable, rich match, and um, her family being as conceited and wrap up in themselves as they are, um, even though Anne has this self-awareness, she's still kind of, you know, tied to these decisions and very depressed from it, but... Um, I'd seen this movie played very kind of heavy, but this movie was just so funny in kind of this silly way. Like, it was it was definitely a different kind of style than I expected, um, which I'm really relieved for because something that made me really nervous seeing the trailer, and I think a lot of people have had these concerns, is that, like, there's a lot of, like, modern terms or, like, things being phrased a certain way where it's like, oh, that's not really faithful, you mm -hmm. know, to the book and stuff like that. But it somehow it kind of works. And, like, um, I think, you know, just all these actors, they were given the opportunity to really show off their acting chops, their um, comedic abilities. Um, Dakota Johnson was hilarious in it. And um, her father is played by Richard Grant. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's just ridiculous and hilarious. Um, I think the star of this was um, Mia McKenna-Bruce, who I don't think I'd seen before, but she's been, apparently she's been popping up in a lot of Netflix stuff. 
hilarious. I don't know if you felt that way, Mark, but, like, everything she said, it just killed me. And there were some things where it's like, would they have said that in the 1800s? Yeah. Probably not. But, like, they're very aware that the audience they're showing this for is in the 21st century. So while it's still, like, it doesn't pull you out completely, but there are jokes that are definitely for us, the audience. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, one that I just, I, I loved was, like, Anne's reminiscing about Wentworth, and she's like, he left me um, a playlist, and it's this stack of um, sheet music. And, yeah. you know, just kind of stuff I, like I that. I love where that. It's like, that was great. Yeah, yeah. And, and it kind of worked. And um, I, I loved the look of it. Um, if you care about these period pieces, like the look, I think the costumes, the cinematography, like, you know, for a Netflix film, like, I, I do think it was very pretty and very stylish. Like, I think that's the whole thing. It's very stylized. And um, it stayed true to that style. And so, yeah, they made it work. What do you think of it, Mark? So I have, I, when I first started watching it, and pretty, pretty soon in the movie, she breaks the fourth wall. And so I've heard oh, that yeah. what she does is similar to what Phoebe Waller-Bridges, I think that's her name, who does Fleabag, where she talks mm-hmm. to the camera and kind of involves the audience directly in her thoughts and narrates it frequently. That kind of surprised me. And so, and I know that like, and maybe it leads to like a little bit of the broader Jane Austen conversation and that when somebody's books and, and works have been adapted so many times, people want to give a fresh take on it and do something different. Mm-hmm. So the three major things I saw that were, that were different from probably what the book is, and I've never even read the book. I haven't read any of the Jane Austen books, kind of like Josh was saying. I, I don't think I've read any of them. But there's the, the breaking the fourth wall, and I thought that was, she did a really good job with that, even though, yes, it was oh a little awkward, and yeah. it was a little, at first, it's like, oh, yeah, she's talking to us, because it starts out with voiceover narration, but then after a, a couple minutes, you learn it's actually direct camera narration, but at the beginning, they're just showing other scenes while she's talking. Well, I mean, I, I do think that, like, when... Like, we start with her talking to the camera. Like, I mean, I yeah. know it's, like, the voiceover with the Right, clips, right. But the first time we see her in the present, I think it's, she's talking to the camera. It, I think... So it, it kind of does I think you're really right. Well. I just, I, from what I remember, it starts with showing her, because, the, I mean, I think you started saying the plot with, with the, uh, it, mm. it starts out seven years after she was persuaded, and it was kind of by her mother's friend, not, not as much her family, but pretty much all of them, to, to break up with this navy yeah. guy navy officer because he wasn't mm-hmm. rich enough but they, she was in love and the sad thing was he knew why she broke up with her and so then when he comes back into her life is you know are they going to be able to move on or is it just never going to work kind of a thing so like mm-hmm. yeah she talks to the camera and she does these little like nods and asides and winks i mean some of those i kind of liked it actually okay. reminded me of the office even you know like where jim oh, looks yeah, at no, the camera no, just to like, some, like gym give a gym like, look you know man, my sister's roll his eyes yeah and yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's kind of funny. And then she has this almost like emotional support bunny. And I don't know if that's in the novel, but that was kind of funny. And then... I, I don't remember a bunny, so right. I did... I did like the, the other two, I think, anachronistic pieces of the movie were that they cast um, black actors and actresses to be members mm-hmm. of the family. And so that was a little bit like... It felt kind of maybe more deliberate than I wanted to feel like, hey, we're, we're doing this. We're doing an updated version, so we're going to do this. But in my mind, I'm thinking... This is from the, the 1830s in England, and it just, it's not how it would have been, but, you know, it's what they chose mm-hmm. to do, and then, uh, for, for the film today, and then the other thing was, yeah, they did come up with some phrases that are for the modern, you know, for Gen Z, like, the modern generation, so they, they, yeah, they like never made it obvious. Marion, the whole, like, self-love, Self-love, single and thriving, yeah. like, she kind of sarcastically says <laughs> she's, she's single, single and thriving, and she's drinking a bottle of wine yeah. just sitting there, you know, like... She's really not thriving. She's still unhappy because she's pining for her lost love. But, like, they didn't ever make it super obvious. You know, like, she's, they didn't make a pop culture reference from, you know, 2020 or anything. It was more just little turns of phrases that probably were not in the Austin book. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah, I thought it was fine. I, the the main chemistry, it was hard for me to buy. I mean, because you look at Dakota Johnson and she is, like, stunningly beautiful, like a perfect 10. And then the guy that she's, supposedly in love with who is you know they keep talking about how handsome he is and it's I, he he just doesn't have much of a personality and maybe that's part oh, Mark, of it that's so 
That's so funny because I actually think Dakota Johnson was the perfect cast because I think she's actually kind of plain. Oh, really? But like, in oh, Hollywood's really? eyes, she's plain. Like, that's the whole reason she was cast for Fifty Shades was, like, because she had this every girl look. And so, like, I, I kind of saw that, although I do think she's dressed up in the movie. Like, she's got lipstick on. She's looking good, right? Um, I think we should have Josh I mean, settle I, this. Is Dakota Johnson beautiful uh, no, 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 or plain? As the girl. Speaking of The Office, what was what was it? Uh, it was the Hillary was the Swank that they were. Hillary Swank, the Hillary and they all Swank voted debate. on it, and it was like almost a tie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my goodness! No, no, That's but like funny. as a girl, That's I just think funny. it's funny that you say that because I find Dakota Johnson kind of on the plain side, wow. but I, I thought. I thought Wentworth was kind of hunky. Okay, well, see, and yeah. and I was going to say, I'm sure you enjoyed the movie better than I did. The movie really wasn't made for me, uh, you know, a 40-something guy who's never read a Jane Austen book. So I, <laughs> but, but the other problem was, and, I, and I, te- I actually texted you guys about that this week, I saw an absolutely, like, brilliant masterpiece of a movie just this past week, and it was The Little Women, so I think in my mind, I sort of kept comparing these old period piece movies, Little Women mm. from 2019 and Persuasion from 2022. And it was just, there just to me wasn't much of a, of a comparison. But, you know, I, Persuasion definitely had its moments and it had, um, I thought, I, I, like a lot of great lines, lots of funny lines. Like I said, the, the fourth wall breaking sort of narration style was, had, was pretty funny. I was worried it would pull me out. You know, kind of like it, it's you want to be lost in the story. You want to just be transported mm-hmm. back to the early 1800s mm-hmm. and just get lost and figure out, you know, who you're going to identify with and and root who you're going to root for. But like there are scenes where she gets pretty emotional. She's like straight up crying. Yeah. And, and then she's yeah. looking at the camera, almost like rolling her eyes and like sighing. And and, and it's part of the story. I mean, she's narrating it sort of as it's happening to her. And then she's she's crying and. So it's not just all sort of like a wink and a, you know, I'm trying to be funny. It's like, this is my life, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought she did excellent in it. Um, yeah, yeah, no, she she did a great, great job. And I think this was a great role for her to get, because I'd seen her in, like, on Jimmy Fallon and stuff like that, and she can be very funny. Okay. It's just she hasn't had a lot of opportunity to do that. And I thought she did great in this. But also showing, like you said, that range. Um, there were a lot of great... Um, choreographed like longer shots mm-hmm. where um, you know the camera will like kind of be focused on her and she has her little like fourth wall break but then also people are coming in and then they leave and she's you know kind of looks over at the camera you know like there, there was a lot of good movement with that and with that you know the character is kind of changing um, in emotion and expression as the scene is going along instead of just like okay, we're going to get this three-second shot of you looking sad, and now another three-second shot of you looking happy. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, kind of that flow, and it, it really shows that she's got a lot of talent, so I thought that was... It's, and it, this was a great role for her. The thing I like, too, is it, is it is a character you want to root for. I mean, it's a... A yeah. lot of these, like, the, the little women and the Jane Austen characters, and they're these, you know, independent women who are... And I keep hearing this about, because it's in Little Women, too, about how marriage is transactional for women. And I'm starting to wonder mm-hmm. if that's just an undercurrent, like a running theme through all Austin books about the transactional nature of marriage for these genteel upper, even the upper class women in the early 1800s. Well, are you are you aware of the opening line for Pride yes, and Prejudice? Yeah, the famous opening. Like right. A rich man is in want of a right, wife. Right, right. Like, a it's truth just... universally acknowledged. Yeah, that, Absolutely. that's yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. the yeah, <laughs> famous opening line. And so there's some similarities to that and, and persuasion. Yeah. Um, but she also isn't just like there to be sort of a, you know, sitting, uh, what do you call it, like a, a wallflower that's just waiting for marriage to happen. Like she does a lot of good. And even though she's sort of yeah. suffering and almost like grieving, because that's really what love lost is, is sort of grief, an extended seven year period of grief. She does a lot of good for her family and she sacrifices mm-hmm. for him. And she kind of like she has the one that you were talking about. That's the the funny sister. I mean. She's a funny actress, but she plays kind of a horrible character who's oh, she's narcissistic. Terrible. She's the worst. But then, yeah. <laughs> and and so you know, Anne is Anne, the main character, is saying, "Well, she's she actually likes to be there because she can just sit and listen to her, and then and you know, this narcissist loves to hear herself talk, but she's also company for Anne. But Anne does help help out, you know, yeah. like, she, and she loves her nephew. She's right. so cute with yeah. the nephews, like, yeah, no, there, there's a lot she's doing. She helps someone else who's experiencing grief. Like, there's this 
really nice moment where they're talking about poetry and mm-hmm. she's like, hey, you know what? That's nice for a grieving heart, but it's only gonna like make you sink further. Like, oh yeah, it was it was very very good scene. Yeah, yeah. And then and then like and, her kind of yeah. she has a great conversation that leads to a key moment with you know with her former lover making a decision that's like an overheard conversation that shows her just real heart kind of bearing her heart to to a friend about mm-hmm. you know how men and women love differently. So yeah, I thought yeah. it was well written, and I, and I assume most of it was really from Austin and maybe. A little bit updated, you know, adapted, modernized, yeah. but most of it I felt because I've heard she's such a great writer and I've known some of the lines, you know, from Pride and Prejudice that it's it's probably a great one. And I read that it was posthumously published. So that one was after she died when it came out, that uh, the oh, book wow. Persuasion. And she'd only written six books. So all of them have been made into movies. Like she... Mm-hmm. she many times Many over. times, yeah. She died at 41... And there's many adaptations of her works, especially the main, you know, Pride and Prejudice, I think it's probably the main one. Um, but I haven't, have you seen any other versions of Persuasion? Yeah, no, there's a BBC version. Like, I mean, I'll probably talk about this more with um, just more of the deep dive kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, you know, there, there was a time where um, we just rented like every version of like basically every classic literature adaptation but especially from Jane Austen and most of them BBC related. And I think in the nineties around then they were just they were doing a lot, doing a whole slew of them yeah. and um, just absolutely fabulous. There was a, but like, like I said, it was more serious and like it plays into that part of like, Anne being depressed a little more. Oh, okay. Yeah. There was a BBC yeah. version of persuasion that some people count as a theatrical release. Cause apparently it was released in the U S for a very, very short time, but it was made by the BBC. And I think it was from the mid nineties. Um, but yeah, that uh, that's, but I have, I've not seen that one. So this was my yeah. introduction to the story. No, I loved everything you shared. You sound so prepared. <laughs> I love this. And on the flip side, I did not, I did not see persuasion. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, I do feel very confident that it will be the front runner this year for the Award for film that so- has a title that sounds like a perfume. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Persuasion yeah. by Dakota Johnson. Yeah. Like it totally. <laughs> Johnny Johnny Depp or somebody will be Persuasion. in black and white and like staring <laughs> off into into you know the incoming tide while seagulls flow by and, and something else inexplicable happens. It'll be a little see that. <laughs> yeah. That's what Netflix needs to do for their promotion. Not only do they need to be doing the billboards and the, you know, these other promotional stuff, they need to have their own fragrance lines to promote. There we go. Mm -hmm. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) See, we're figuring it all out. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what's, so what's the other one, Danny? There's, cause there's two, right? Yeah. No, well, it's interesting that Mark said that about like the whole, how, you know, they're kind of changing up like some of the race things because it's a, it's a trend that has been going on for a long time um, with a lot of these new adaptations. And I think a lot of it is, you know, making things new and, you know, making it more, I don't know, relatable to just everybody, but like what, and, and I know there could be the argument of it, it feels like it's checkboxes, but what I have seen, um, especially in the ones that have been really good, so I'm thinking like David Copperfield with um, Doug Patel. Mm, that's right. And um, yeah. uh, Bridgerton, of course, is a very popular one. But, like, I, I think what it's kind of opened up is this opportunity for let the best actor have the role, which is what I'm seeing. Like, I'm seeing incredible performances in these kind of movies. And um, why I'm really excited to talk about this movie is, like, this movie is probably, it's not, like, my Danny critic pick, but, like, Danny, just, like, personally who I am, this is my top pick of the year just because... It really honed in on those characters, and those performances were just amazing in Mr. Malcolm's List. Hmm. Um, So just to kind of break down what it's all about, um, if you haven't seen trailers popping up everywhere, um, synopsis kind of goes like, uh, when Julia Thistlewaite is humiliated over being publicly cited by a wealthy, honorable Mr. Malcolm, she enlists her cousin and childhood friend Selena to use Mr. Malcolm's list of requirements for a wife against him and drama ensues kind of you know like it's just it's very it's very playful with that premise 
Um, but in a way that provides, you know, again, a lot of that social critique, which is important for this genre. Um, and it, it's very interesting what they did here in that, you know, they were able to stay true to a lot of these period romance tropes um, and kind of characterization, but, but like in a way where it didn't ever feel tropey, like they were making it their own. Um, you know, they there's this one part that I'm thinking of in particular where like a truth is revealed and I'm like, oh, here's our third act conflict. And the way that they handled it, I just did not expect it to go that way. And it actually, it was a decision that made me just like the characters more and make me want to root for them more. And I'm like, that's just great writing, you know? Um, so like overall big story picture, great writing, but all the interactions, just these beautiful, beautiful one-liners that I can't stop saying because they're just just so snappy and fun. Um, uh, in particular, this uh, friend who comes up with this scheme, she, her delivery with every line is just like, with every facial expression, just so much personality. And I think everyone just like, you know, really wanted to flesh out these characters and bring them to, light, to life in every single line. Um, you know, some characters do good things, some of them do not so great things. And, but you know, you just, you, you like them anyways, because you understand like, oh, they're human and they're having these emotions and you can understand and identify with them. So just like, you know, it, like it was, it was just a perfect, you know, new kind of story that in that kind of embodies a lot of these, you know, very familiar kind of tales. But it's also just, I think, a great movie overall. So, like, it doesn't rely too much on it just being this gushy romance kind of story. Like, it's it's just great and fun. Like, it was a packed theater when I went, and it's been out for a couple weeks. And everyone was laughing the whole way through, you know? It was just, it was a great time. And, and I do want to be careful in saying that it is funny, because it's funny in a different way than Persuasion. This one is a little more authentic, where it's like... You know, they're not throwing out kind of modern terms. It, it's very, very much still that period piece. Um, organically funny? Yeah, or yeah. really funny? Yeah. Well, I mean, Persuasion was too, but like, it's very clever and witty. It's a little more, a little more thought with that one. Um, but I, I don't think it's, it was hard to understand either. But, so oh. who, so which one would you recommend first? If somebody could only see one or the other, and then... You know, like, I mean, just just for the sake of comparison, would you, did you find yourself enjoying one more than the other, or are they just two different movies that, yeah. you know, hit, hit you in different ways, that you just enjoyed and for, for different reasons? Yeah, no, they, they totally hit in different ways, and I think it depends on the person and the situation of, like, what they're wanting. But, like, for the higher quality film, for that more authentic experience. Like, I mean, definitely Mr. Malcolm's List. Like, like I'm saying, like, this is my favorite movie that's come out so far this year. Like, it's just, it's so, so well done, especially on that writing and performance aspect. And and that's what I'm looking for the most when it comes to a movie, so. Where, so where do you... Yeah, I, I'd probably pick this one. Where do you rank Marcel? Would you put that behind Malcolm's List or behind Persuasion? <laughs> As a Jane Austen interpretation, <laughs> where do you rank Marcel? No, the show I mean, with I mean, just for 2022, <laughs> we are to your yearly but list. I mean, oh, sorry, that, Mark. <laughs> at that point, it is so different that it's hard to compare. I would say Mr. Malcolm's list is going to be easier for a full audience because I do think the pacing with Marcel, like, it just it makes it a little harder for people to stay super invested in the whole time. Whereas Mr. Malcolm's List, like, that plot is, like, you know, moving along. Not, like, you know, neck-breaking speed or anything, but in a way where it's, like, you are very invested the entire time, and it's like, ooh, I really want to know what happens next. Or, like, I, I went out to see it with a, a friend of mine, and she and I the entire time were like, ooh, the, the tea, the gossip, the, you know, like, we were just so into, like, every little just juicy detail there, so... You know, that, that keeps it, I think, a little more entertaining. Um, Marcel's definitely up there now, too, because, like, 
like I said, technical level, unbelievable. And, and this one, like, it didn't look super hard to film. Like, I, like you know, wardrobe, of course, is always going to be a big deal. And the, the sets, scenery was beautiful. That's always important. Um, but, like, you know, they it didn't take them, like, three years to make it, which is what it sounded like happened with Marcel. The thing, and it sounds like it's kind of shining through in, in how you talk about these movies, but they should be, like, uh, I don't know, like, warm and comfortable and non-offensive, okay. but also, like, draw you into this world, like, all-encompassing. Like, you want to be part of this world, and you, you talked about the cinematography and the costuming mm -hmm. and just, you know, the manners and the gossip, because often they are sort of comedies uh, or comedy-slash-dramas <laughs> of manners of how we're supposed to behave in this society or how people are expected to behave, and sometimes maybe they subvert those expectations, but... It is a nice thing when you know you can go to a movie and it's like, like I think pretty much all the movies we've talked about today are like PG, you know, like there's really not going to be something offensive. Yeah. doesn't mean the kids are going to love it, but they're not gonna, there's not going to be anything <laughs> that's going to be like, you better turn your eyes or, you know, go to bed. Like it's, it's something that they could watch. Now, I, you know, my kids wouldn't probably watch Persuasion and I don't really expect them to, but at least it's a PG <laughs> movie, you know, it's, it's definitely like yeah. in that same alley, probably with like Marcel as well, I'm assuming, but wasn't Marcel a PG movie? Oh yeah, yeah. no, totally. I think so, yeah. 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 So. Um, no, the, the question, the question I had, um, so, so similar to what I was talking about before. So if Mr. Malcolm's List is the better of the two, or maybe the more authentic of the two Jane mm. Austen mm -hmm. adaptations, uh, how do these rank with all of your favorite <laughs> Jane Austen? <laughs> well, do we need to start doing a, a deeper dive so I can I, well, I, explain all of what I'm looking well, I for? I think what we want to know is where's Clue? Where is Clueless? Where's Clueless <laughs> on my list? You know what? Funny enough, I haven't seen Clueless. Oh, okay. See, okay. I like, and I, I felt, as I was kind of like breaking things apart and categorizing everything, I, like my list of like classic faithful adaptations is like infinitely longer than like modern adaptations or oddballs. Like, hmm. you know, I, I, and I wonder, Mark, if, you know, maybe, you know, kind of like how you guys picked apart me in animation, you're kind of also revealing something about my need for 1800 escapism, mm -hmm. you know, like, <laughs> yeah, um, maybe it's something I'm longing for. I was just born in the wrong era. That's what I, it is. I think, um, <laughs> I, no, I could see that because there's, there's a certain, I don't know. I, and I kind of use the word comfort again, but like something that yeah. my, my wife likes to watch, for example, like if let's say she's sick and just not, not feeling it and needs to just watch something to help her feel good is Anne of Green Gables. Mm -hmm. Like those oh, kind of things, oh. right? I knew I knew that would get a reaction out of Next me. time your wife is sick, <laughs> I'm coming over. I will bring soup and everything if I can just watch Anna Green Gables with her. Oh my goodness, those ones are great. Yep. Yeah, no, I love, you know, that classic literature adaptations. Um, Charles Dickens is one of my all-time favorite authors, so anytime I see anything of his, love that. Um, so yeah, no, I, I and I don't know if it's just an exposure thing. Like I said, you know, we did uber marathons when I was a kid for all these things and um, I read so many of them growing up like I, I have a lot of Austin and Dickens and oh I even have Little Woman on my bookshelf here mm -hmm. Jane Eyre you know um, which I've, I've read like all of these ones I have so many books I haven't read but like <laughs> those ones, those ones <laughs> definitely uh, let me ask you this did you see Love and Friendship yes <laughs> I've heard that's a great <laughs> one. That one is one of the ones that always rates highly among the Austin. That's, that's one of the few. That's one of the few Austin films that I've okay. seen. Yeah, I've seen. I, yeah, I remember watching that one a few years ago. Kate Beckinsale was great in that one. Okay, it's just kind of this. I don't. I don't remember a ton about the plot, mm -hmm. but I remember her playing just kind of this. You know, calculating. She's she's the bad guy, oh, yeah. kind of as far as these movies have bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. And. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was, but it was, but it was clever and witty. Like I, I really enjoyed how, how funny it was. It mm -hmm. was not a laugh out loud type funny, you know. And maybe, and maybe, maybe this is more similar to what you're describing with Mr. Malcolm's List, where it's like it's a funny movie, but people aren't like 
throwing out one-liners and and you yeah. know you're not expecting rim shots off the mm-hmm. you know on the soundtrack but uh that was that was a funny one yeah, no, was, yeah and, it was, it was, and it was a good one and it was the a good purpose one. isn't to make a comedy like they're not set out to make a yeah. comedy but they're to make a good movie and include clever witty you know lines in it or whatever yeah or, and a lot of it is the commentary, right? right? Like like I said with the opening line in Pride and Prejudice, right? Like, mm-hmm. And that's like a huge kind of... Um, I mean, that's the whole motivation of Mrs. Bennett's character, right? Is the whole like, oh, everyone must be married, especially to rich men. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, it, right off the bat, it's, it's, you know, making those social commentary statements and they just happen to be put in a very humorous way. Uh, Love and Friendship was very fun and I feel like that's even though it's very classic and faithful, in some ways that's kind of more of that oddball, which it was written by Austin, but kind of as a, to make fun of the genre. (laughs) So that's why, you know, the main character is kind of antagonistic. And um, I remember the ending, I was just kind of like, what? But it it was because it's making fun of itself, right? Uh, So hmm. those are good. Yeah, so um, something that I brought up in my Mr. Malcolm's List review, which can be found on the utah.film website. Um, <laughs> it's just that, like, you know, things I'm looking for, like, and now I guess I have to add, like, the look of it and the sincerity uh, and the escapism part of it, but I just, I, I really care about um, a lot of the the longing, the emotions, and then, and then the wit. So uh, those are important things to it. And... Um, Oh, another note that I added. I, I think the reason why Jane Austen works like this is that she's Shakespeare kind of in another era, where it's like, here are these classic stories that are recognizable, and they can be molded in so many different ways um, with different backdrops, different time periods, kind of like what we've seen with Shakespeare, right? Um, that's why I think Clueless kind of feels like a lot of those... Um, other, oh, what were they? There was like a whole era in the 90s where they were remaking Shakespeare movies, kind of like 10 Things I Hate About You. I was going to say, like yeah, yeah, because that's another one that sprung to mind, but I thought, oh, that's a Shakespeare adaptation, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah, but it works in the same way, right? Well, and I think I think the reason for that is, and my, my guess, you know, without, without being a, a student or any kind of an expert <laughs> on Jane Austen, the impression that I've gotten just from what I've heard from other people and from the few movies of hers, you know, that I've seen is that, you know, she's tapping into fairly universal themes and, and, and be, you know, behaviors of human nature, right. That are very universal and relatable. And so whether they're happening in the 19th century, whether they're happening in Shakespeare's time or whether they're happening at a high school in the 1990s, you're going to connect with it because people are people and people have always been people. And, and it seems like Austin just kind of has a, a knack for kind of digging into the foibles of, of human nature that are very defining. Um, Okay. So we're probably, I mean, just for the sake of the audience, we probably don't want to go too much longer, but could you on the spot, Give us your top three Jane Austen adaptations. Dang, I wrote five. Okay. Uh, so, hmm. I'll do... I, have, I think I've only seen three total, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. it's can... all good. I will give a shout-out to the oddball Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, because I loved... Because zombies were so popular then, right? And I loved seeing the same kind of lines, but they kind of hit different with that different backdrop and mm-hmm. I just yeah I, I, I loved the, the performances in that one so that one was fun um, ooh, I, I can't choose between these four I'm gonna do four sorry about that um, <laughs> I think I, 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 this is the worst story but best execution that I have seen just like directing and I think it was kind of the same way that persuasion was in the kind of that fourth wall break sort of feel. Mansfield Park. Hmm. Terrible storyline. I was explaining it to Ryan after we watched Persuasion. And I'm like, and then this happens in the end. And I'm like, what was the point of anything else that happened in the story? But like the directing and everything, it was beautiful. I loved it. Um, uh, I 
I love Sense and Sensibility with Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet, Hugh Grant, Alan Rickman. Um, I think the thing that I love most about it, though, is that the quips in that one, I just hear my dad's voice. I think it's his favorite, but he, I just, I always hear him saying, like, uh, how's the invalid and stuff like that, you know? So, I don't know, I think there's kind of that connection I feel with him. With my mom, it's more the five-hour BBC version of Pride and Prejudice, which is just classic, peak Austin, so faithful, Colin Firth, what more could you ask for, you know? Well, that one really seems like the... The, the standard bearer. The most celebrated. Yeah. Right, mm. oh. right. Because it's without, the best. <laughs> no, it's I so mean, I, with, without having seen it, I mean, I'm sure I've caught bits and pieces just because it's been on so frequently. Mm-hmm. Um or that people I know have been watching it so frequently, but it, it just far and away seems like if you're going to hold up any adaptation, TV series, movie, whatever, of, of a Jane Austen, you know, book, the the multi-part BBC Pride and Prejudice is 1, 1A, 1B, 1C, <laughs> and then everything else just kind of falls in its wake. Oh, well, uh, absolutely. I watch it, like, every year around my birthday because no one can argue with me. And I'm like, we're watching this now. So I love that one. And then just... You make your family watch the whole thing? Yes. Wow. You wouldn't watch just one of them. It's like watching just one of the Lord of the Rings movies. You I'm don't do that. I'm not saying that. that. I'm just saying, like, on my birthday, I can barely get people to watch one movie that I like, <laughs> let alone... But that's the, that's the thing. It's so good that, like, you know, people... And, and, I mean, really, it feels like it goes by a lot faster than it is. Probably because, like, sometimes I'll skip or I'll, like, fast-forward through the, like, intro and, you know, hurry over to the next um, episode before, like, the credits roll. So it feels more like, you know, 45-minute so episodes. So four hours and 55 minutes instead exactly, of... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> there we go. Hardly gotcha. notice it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so your your Mount Rushmore of Jane Austen adaptations includes two Pride and Prejudice movies, right? Oh, because Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's only yeah, Pride six, and Prejudice. Really, there's only six novels to choose from, so you yeah. might as well. And, and I feel like that one's the most popular. Darcy's just iconic. Um, yeah. You know who doesn't like Lizzie Bennet? She's just you know. Quick and snappy, you know, like she's you call she's her so Lizzie? Fun. <laughs> Lizzie Bennett. You call her Lizzie. <laughs> she is Lizzie Bennett. Okay. I just I imagine the sisters like Lizzie. Okay. Anyhow, and, <laughs> and but my top pick that's just probably because I don't know it it resonates most with me. I love the story of Emma. I feel like I've kind of been that person like meddling in other people's lives, and I'm like, I'll never get married. I'm too bound to my duty to my family you know i'm much too prominent of a figure in the community but i'm gonna like match people up together and then she she fails like <laughs> really really bad trying to do it right and um so which which version are you because there's there's multiple yeah. versions right so so i love the story of it but the version of it that i love the most and the hard thing is is that it came out the same year as the gwyneth paltrow version but this was a bbc version same year uh. Okay. Uh, with Kate Beckinsale and Mark Strong. So Kate Beckinsale, that's why she was the pick for Love and Friendship, is to kind of, like, because oh. she was in these kind of ones. Um, Mark Strong as Mr. Knightley. Like, I love Mr. Darcy character, but once I started getting into Emma, I realized, like, I'm more into, like, a Mr. Knightley. Like, someone who's kind of challenging the protagonist to, like, you know, be better. Like, he expects her to improve herself and to for him to improve, too. Like... I, I just, I loved their dynamic so much. And, and and that one in particular, it's just, it's super, super fun. And it's not five hours long, so it's a little easier to go back to <laughs> if I don't have the time to go to Pride and Prejudice. But, um, nice. yeah, that would be all of them. I don't know how Mr. Malcolm would rank with all of them. I, I feel like I'm going to add it to my collection, and so it's like, you know, this one, I'm, I've already been planning when I'm going to see it next in theaters with, like, my husband and some friends. Um, and I think once I own it and I'm seeing it more often, maybe it'll be a part of that birthday marathon. I'm not sure. So I, I could see it rising in the ranks. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Well, there you go. That's a, that's a whole lot of Jane Austen <laughs> for, uh, for the Utah Film Pod. But I think some, some good quality stuff. I I mean, I 
all jokes and stuff aside, I've liked every Jane Austen thing I've ever seen. You just and need so to watch more. That's what I, we're learning here. Well, I can't, I can't argue against that. I can't <laughs> say that I'm going to follow through anytime soon, but I also can't argue against it. And, and so uh, definitely kind of a fun, you know, and, and frankly, I'm just, I just kind of enjoy not talking about Marvel movies and superhero oh movies my goodness. in an episode, it was so right? Nice. So, so there's here's a little let's call it a little more of a sophisticated turn in the Utah Film Pod today as we <laughs> delve into uh, the world of Jane Austen and stop motion animation and uh, well and and some conspiracy theories about uh, Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks for watching as always. Um, now you we already know that uh, uh, Danny, you mentioned that you have got an article up on Mr. Malcolm's uh, list. Mm -hmm. And uh, so check that out on the website. Anything else we decide to put on the website in the meantime. But, uh, yeah, whether you are on YouTube, whether you're on Spotify, wherever you're, if you're on iTunes, give us a, uh, a, a big, big shout-out and a review. Send us some comments. Subscribe if you haven't already. And we will look forward to hearing from you and giving you more next time. Mm -hmm.